You know, we started this week with the hope, the mission, really, that caregivers would feel less alone in the world, that that they would hear some stories on the air and, and want to reach out and say, hey, I'm here too, which is exactly what listener Frank Medina in San Antonio, Texas did. He wanted to let us know about his experience caring for his mother-in-law, Mary, who had a stroke back in 2010. Mary is one of those ladies that uh, grew up in a different time period. She was the one that always had to be busy. She was always running around. She was always doing something. And so one day when uh, my wife called, it's like, well, she's asleep. And that was kind of odd. Mary never sleeps, you know, throughout the afternoon. And she called again. And, you know, her dad said that she was still asleep. And she was like, well, something's wrong. Go over there and check out what's going on with Mary. So we went over there, and Mary had had a stroke during the night, and because her father's of elderly age, he didn't know. He thought she was just tired, and that's what started everything. And so, uh, of course, when, you know, we called the ambulance, took her to the hospital, you know, and they're like, what hospital? Well, you don't even know. You're like, you know, she needs care right now, you know. So we took her to the hospital downtown, and they gave us uh, 30 days. And, of course, that tore my wife up, you know, 30 days, person had a stroke because of her age. And it's like, no, she's going to need a lot of care. And, you know, Mary pulled through. But I think it was because of my wife constantly being there. And before then, we, you don't know anything. There's a crash course, you know, in caregiving. And uh, you've got to learn it from nurses and professionals. And uh, we've spoken to some of those folks this week. And you got to learn it on your own. We have to learn it on our own. Uh, a lot of the nurses were very, you know, because I can tell if, you know, the first time that you're going through this. And so a lot of them were very, very helpful. You know, I said, you need to put her in a nursing home. This is the best we can do. She'll end the rest of her life in a nursing home. So, of course, here we go again, looking for nursing homes. There's no book. There is no book. We put her in the one that we thought was the best for San Antonio for her. That was close to a week ago, Sear. But, you know, we ended up spending more time there than we did at the house because, well, they have shift changes. And every time the shift changed, you know, of course, here we go again, starting over again. She's on this. She's allergic to this. You can't do that. Your food has to be soft. You just can't put the plate there. It has to be chopped up. And I, it was just constant. So my wife just came over from an exhausting day. My wife just sat there and said, you know what, we can do a better job than what they're doing at the nursing home. Nothing against the nursing home, but we can do a better job. So let's talk about how this has changed your home. Obviously, your home isn't a nursing home, and uh, the expectations are different. What's this been like, this experience been like for your kids and then for you and your wife? So we had to find a different home, so we're renting this home right now, but uh we had to find one that's wheelchair accessible. So everywhere you go, Mary can move around in her wheelchair. She has, you know, she's paralyzed from one side, but that leg that works, she can get around. So that was like the first big hurdle. So it's not like she's a captive in her own room. We can move her to the kitchen. She can move to the living room. We move her to the dining room. We move her to the back. So that was like the biggest godsend that we had, just finding this place. As far as for my daughter, I mean, she's a trooper too. We would love for her to sit there and go with her friends on a Friday night and, you know, at 16. But she's there too, you know, when we're tired and she can tell. And she goes, well, I'll put grandma to bed. And she will. She'll wheel her into the room, take her teeth out, wash her teeth, get her ready, dress her. And she can even lift her and put her to bed too, which I was real surprised with, you know. But that's not what I wish on her. I still want her to be a 16-year-old and you know, enjoy going out and doing high school activities, you know, but she's a real trooper too. And as far as my wife, uh, one thing that I really do wish is that uh, she could get a good night's sleep. Well, what's your, what's your larger message? Is there an experience here that has deepened your relationship 
with the, your wife's mother? Is there a sense of responsibility that you really want to convey to other people in America? Is there a sense of resentment, a sense of isolation? No, no, no. no. You know, yes, you can get isolated, but you have to look at the, the moments, you know, that are just cherished for us. Uh, one day we woke up and Mary's just laughing. This is at four in the morning. And she's laughing. We can't figure out. So here we are at four in the morning. We're laughing because we don't know what she's laughing at. Those are those little moments that you, you, you'll remember. You know, but yes, you know, when people come in and say, oh, we're going on vacation and we're going to go over here. And, you know, they don't realize that, you know, our part is different because when we try to go out, we have to think, okay, is it wheelchair accessible? Mary can only do an hour in the car. Uh, where can we go? Where can we take the kids? <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough on us, you know, and, uh, and, and it can get sad. You know, but, you know, uh, Mary's still alive. You know, well, as long as Mary's still alive, you know, we're giving her a good life. We're going to enjoy her. We're talking with Frank Medina, who's the primary caregiver for his uh, mother-in-law, he and his wife. Um, she suffered a stroke in 2010. This is the way things were done in America, though, for, for most of history, that uh, people did care for members of their extended family. People did take that responsibility. You weren't the unusual person in your neighborhood if there was a mother upstairs in a wheelchair that sort of thing yes but you know it's part of our culture too i mean we're from an extended family we were always had generations in the house and we never thought anything about it so when mary had the stroke that was like a no-brainer you know okay this is it this is what we did and we all adapted to it but we don't do it out of malice. You know, we don't do it out of spite. We do it because we care for this person. This is a great person. She's going to, when she does decide to pass or when she moves on, you know, we'll be happy. You know, the doctors keep telling us, you'll have to let go. You have to let go. You know, well, okay, we will let go when that time happens. But until then, we're enjoying Mary. She hasn't gone yet. You know, and that's where we, we get our strength from that. You know, we're happy when she's happy. Do you feel like one of the 66 million or so caregivers in the United States, does that number surprise you? Yes, it does, because you really don't realize how many of us are out there. You really don't, you know. And so uh, it was when Mary had a stroke, I was real surprised that it was people that were like, oh, that would call us, you know, especially my wife, and say, oh, your mother had a stroke. How do you deal with this? You know, my mom's going to be... Uh, is deteriorating. I don't know how to handle this. And now she has become like a support for her friends, you know, or even people that we don't even know. It's like, oh, you know, uh, one of your friends told me that your mom had a stroke and they're calling us to see how they can cope, you know? And so we just, you know, offer them the best advice that we can, especially if they're looking for, you know, nursing homes, you know, we're just, there's, there's no, there's no book that we have to go by, you know? Hey, so Frank, just, you're the book. We're the book. You're the book. So before we go, uh, how big is your army of caregiving there in the house? I, obviously, it's you and your wife and your daughter helps out. Mm -hmm. We have two, and they're very wonderful. But uh, even there, that was another problem. You know, you're going to entrust somebody. We have to go to work, you know, so you have to entrust somebody. And we found some delightful caregivers that, you know, we just think the world about. But, you know, things happen. They move. Their kids come into a situation. They have to move on. And then you're back up to square one again. You know, okay, now we have to find a caregiver. How's Mary doing this week before we go? Oh, Mary just woke up. She woke up in a good mood this morning. You know, we have to do our usual morning routine, you know, take her to do her, you know, business, you know, and get her up. And my wife's in a cheerful mood, and I'm in a cheerful mood, too. So it's a very good day. Frank Medina. 
cares for his mother-in-law in the San Antonio, Texas, one of the nearly 66 million caregivers in the United States, part of our week-long series. Frank, thanks so much. You're more than welcome. So Frank listens to The Takeaway on KSTX 89.1 in San Antonio. Is one, as we said, out of the 66 million caregivers in America out there. Here's another one. This is Neil Lewis calling from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm a blind guy, and most people think that I would need to caregiver, but there are people with disabilities, including myself, who have been caregivers. I had the unfortunate responsibility of having to take care of my mother when she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma years ago. Uh, so being a, a blind caretaker seems kind of counter to what society thinks happens, but we, as people with disabilities, are not only just the people who receive the care, but also the caregivers as well. How you doing out there, caregivers? Give us a call at 877-8-MY-TAKE. Find us on Facebook.com slash The Takeaway. Thanks so much for listening. I'm John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway. The Takeaway is supported by the Henry Luce Foundation for increased understanding of East and Southeast Asia. And the Rockefeller Foundation, whose transportation initiative is promoting equitable and sustainable developments in communities across the country. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex, of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.